We're in a series of messages called More. And if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3 this morning. Ephesians chapter 3. And uh, we have been for the last few weeks walking through this passage of Scripture. Verses 20 and 21. It's the end of a prayer that Paul prayed for a church that he loved. For people that he believed in. And he wanted them to experience everything that God had for them in, in their lives. And there was one word here that just seemed to jump out at me as we've talked about this passage actually multiple times already throughout the course of this year, believing that God wants to do more in our lives. And so um, today's the last of the four messages in this series. And as we've started each one, we have read this passage of Scripture out loud together. So would you do that with me again today? Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. They'll come up on the screen. And will you read them with me today, please? Here we go. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And what we've done each week as we've, as we've jumped into this passage, I've seen four things that we wanted to point out. And so each Sunday we've looked at one thing that, that kind of comes out of this passage. We've called it a more thing. So each week we've looked at one more thing, not an additional thing. But another thing about this subject of how God can do more in our lives. In the first week, we talked about the idea that more is possible. That if we'll take what we have and if we entrust it to God, he can do more with it. Just like the little boy who had the lunch of of the five loaves, the two fish, Jesus took it and fed over 10,000 people. God is able to take your little, it's possible for him to do more with it. And then the second week, we talked about how more is from God. And we looked at how the Holy Spirit at work in our lives is the presence of God. He helps us to understand. He gives us the power so that God's more can be at work in our lives and in our hearts. And then last week, we looked at the idea that less is more. And the truth that when we take what we have and we fully give it to God... When we focus on the thing that he's put in front of us and we don't become distracted by by that thing over there, but if we give him all that we have, then we know that as we do that, he can take our less and he can make it more. And so this morning, we have one last time. We're going to look at one more thing. And here's today's one more thing. Today, I want to help you to get more right. Now, when I say that, I know for some of you, grammatically, you would say, hey, that's not to get more right. I don't mean like that you'll be corrector. I don't mean that, which I don't think is a word either. What I mean is this, that when we talk about more, that you'll understand it the right way. That the things we're talking about today will be things that you will grasp, that you'll get them the right way. Because my fear is that as we've talked about this, that we could have some confusion. And what we want to do is think right about the more that God wants to do in our lives. We want to get more Right, because sometimes we can think we have it right, we can think we're heading in the right direction, when actually we're wrong and we're missing it. Do you know anybody who just is always sure that they're right when actually maybe they're wrong? If they're sitting next to you, put your hand down, right? You don't want to, you don't want to give in to that. There was a couple, uh, uh, a couple years ago, I guess now at this point, I met a family that was new to the church and. 
I, I do my very best to try to, to try to remember people's names. I used to be really good at it, but I think my hard drive's getting full. And it's just kind of more of a challenge from what it, what it used to be. And I, I met this family, and so when I saw them the next time, I was like, i gotta, I got to remember to say their name. And so they'd come up, and every time I'd, I'd see the, the dad in this family, I'd be like, hey, Mark, how are you? Mark, how are you? It's good to see you, Mark. I hope you're doing well, Mark. You know, I'm saying his name, and I'm, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm just saying his name. I'm making him feel like he has value. He, he matters to me. Mark, how are you? You know, do that. And so this has gone on for at least several weeks. And, and, and I, hey, Mark, how are you? And we talked for a few minutes. And he kind of came up to me. I think maybe he put his arm around me. And he just, just, just so you know, um, Mark's my son. My name's Dan. I bet it is, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. You know, I was so sure I was right. And yet I was just dead wrong. And my fear is this. My, my fear is that when we talk about this idea of more, there are some things that you could think that really don't line up with what God has in mind for us as he blesses us with more. So what I want to do today is I want to walk through three misconceptions about more. Some things that we sometimes believe that probably aren't accurate. They're just, they're just not right. And hopefully these things will help us to understand how God can bless us and work in our lives. We, we're going to talk about three misconceptions about more today. And what we've done for all four of these messages, and I, and I want to start here again today before we do anything else. I want you just to think for a minute. Where in your life does this apply to you? Where in your life is this something that fits you right now? Because if we'll open up our hearts and say, God, this is the area, then it allows the Holy Spirit to be more open to, to move and, and work in our lives. So here's what I want you to do right now. Name your more. What is it? What, what is the thing? Is it your marriage? Is it your finances? Is it your job? Is it your relationship with God? Is it your confidence? Is it your peace? Is it, God, I need more of you and less fear? God, I need more of your provision. And less of leaning on myself. I don't know what it is, but right now, just maybe it'll help us. Name your more. What is it? And as we talk about this, as we say, God, this is where I would desire more from you in my life. Let me share with you three misconceptions that we sometimes have about the subject of more. Let's start here. Misconception number one. Are you ready? Number one. Misconception number one is that more is for more. Now let me tell you what I mean by that. Sometimes the way that we live is we say to ourselves, I want more so I can have more. I want, it, I, I want to quantify it. I want to say, boy, I have more. This belongs to me. This is mine. And sometimes we tend to think that if God blesses us, the reason he blesses us is so that we can have more. Here's, here's maybe a good parallel to this. Maybe for some of you, you, you know what it's like. You sit down. It's a good meal. It's, it's Maybe it's your favorite meal. It's food that you like and you you eat what's on your plate, and then you look up, and there's still more food in the center of the table. There's something left in the bowl. And you think to yourself, I think I would like some more, right? For some of you, having seconds is your spiritual gift. Do you know what I'm talking about? You're like, man, I'm going back for more. So you get more, you put it on your plate, and then you get eating, and you realize, I can't finish everything that's in front of me. Because sometimes it's not so much about how hungry you are or what we, what we really need. It's about, I just want to have more. And if you're a parent, you maybe have seen this. Or sometimes, you may remember this, if you have brothers and sisters, sometimes it wasn't about you having more. It was about everybody else having less, right? It's just a little bit left, so what do I want to do? I want to take it. I want to have it. And this idea of more can be a little bit tricky for us if we're not careful. Because if I want more... I usually want more for my reasons. I usually want them on my terms. I want more money. I want more joy. 
I want more success. I want more pleasure. I want to have more value. I want more for my family. I'd like some more respect. And oftentimes, just that very word more takes us back to ourselves. And here's the thing we've got to grasp, is that desire for more can be dangerously self-focused. The desire for more, if we're not careful, can be dangerously self-focused. Because we want that, right? You go walking through the grocery store and you see two products and you've got to pick between the two and one of them says there's more in this one, what are you going to do? You're going to grab the one that offers more. Because it's what we want, it's what we desire, and the desire for more can be dangerously self-focused. We can measure what we want based on what we think the value of it is. But here's what I want you to grasp. More is not about having more. When God does more in our lives, it's not just so we can count it. Recognize this, my more has a purpose. If God entrusts us with more, he does it for a reason. It's because there's something he wants to do through that. There's something he wants to accomplish by means of that. My more has has a purpose. What is the purpose? Ephesians chapter 3 verse 21. Look at this again with me. Here's what Paul says. He's already said that it's God who can do immeasurably more. Why? What's the purpose? To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The reason God does more is so that he can receive more glory. The reason that God works more in our lives is so that he can be glorified, so that he can get the praise, so that people can see him through that process. God does more for his glory. That's who he is. He defines the purpose, and it's that he would be glorified. In fact, that's always been his priority. If you think about it, think, think of when Jesus was talking to the disciples. He was, he was telling them what he hoped for them, and this is what he said, verse 16 of Matthew 5. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. What's our purpose? Why do we exist? Why are we called the light of the world? The purpose is so that others can see Christ in us, that Jesus, that God is lifted up, that he's glorified. In fact, look at how the psalmist says it. Psalm 86, verse 8. Among the gods, there is none like you, Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name, for you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. And sometimes those outside the church, and oftentimes maybe even those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, will, will kind of, I don't think, know that we'd ever admit it, but sometimes the, the thought runs through our mind, how come he gets all the credit? How come he gets all the glory? Why is he the one we focus on so much? What about me? Wouldn't it be nice if maybe I got a little glory every so often? Is that asking a little too much? Why is it all about God? Why does, why does he get all the glory? And the reality of this is important for us to grasp. God gets the glory because he's the creator. If you made everything, then you could have a little glory. But isn't it good for us to remember sometimes that the reason why God gets the glory is because he's the one who made it all. 
We have to look outside of ourselves and remember what the psalmist just said to us, that all the nations you have made will come and worship you. You alone are God. He is the only one that deserves the glory and the honor because he is the creator. So what does it mean if we give him glory? We talk about that a lot. We sing about it in church. But if we're really going to give him glory, what does that mean? I think maybe in its most basic sense, and theologically we could give all kinds of definitions of this, but in its most basic sense, sense here's what it means if we're going to give god glory then that means we give him the credit that we ascribe to him as the one who made it happen the glory we say god you get the credit you get the value you get the praise because you are the one who did this who made this happen you are the only one among the gods that the psalmist says so let's give you an example matthew chapter 15 watch what happens here matthew chapter 15 verse 30 It says, great crowds came to Jesus, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet. And he healed them, and the people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. When they saw what Jesus was doing, who got the credit? God did, right? And so if we're going to give God glory, that means when people see your life, When God entrusts you with more, more influence, more resource, more skills, more strength, that when he gives that to you, that people realize that it's not just about you being able to have more. What it's really about is the one who gave that to you in the first place, that we recognize who he is and what he's done in our lives, and that as a result of that, we choose to give him more glory. To give God glory is to understand who we are and to recognize him for who he is. To say, God, I realize that you are the creator and I'm the creation. And as a result, Lord, I will give you glory. He's the one who gets the credit. Anybody been watching the, uh, anybody been watching the NBA finals? Anybody seen any of those? They're four games in, game, game fives tonight. It's really been a fun series to watch because two teams that have just been kind of making it happen out there on the court and working hard, great games, fun games to watch all the way kind of right up to the end. You've got two teams. One is the Golden State Warriors, and then the other team, who's the, who's the other team? It's uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers, right? Thanks, Jack. That's right, you know? So it's a fun series, especially for us even locally here to kind of watch. We've kind of got a vested interest in this. And if you've watched it, you've seen the media just kind of had a frenzy about the two guys who are kind of the the leaders on both of these teams. They're extraordinary basketball players. And for the Warriors, you've got Steph Curry. For the Cavs, you've got LeBron James, right? And I mean, the media just goes crazy. LeBron sneezes and he's the best ever, right? You just hear this. Why? Because they're hungry to say, who gets the credit? Who deserves this? Even in the midst of what is a team sport, we're always trying to say, who's the one that we give glory to? And yet we're quick so many times not to give it to the God who deserves it. Recognize this, that in your life, it's never about what you can have more of. It's recognizing where that more comes from. That he's the one that gets the glory. That he's the one that gets the credit. Because otherwise, we'll fall prey to misconception number one, which is this, that more is for more. Let me give you the second misconception that we sometimes have to watch out for. Very similar to the first one, but kind of different in a very subtle way. Misconception number two is this, that more is for me. That more is for me. 
And we begin to believe that if God is going to bless me, if God is going to entrust me, if God is going to give me more, then somehow it's about me. And at some point, we have to learn a valuable lesson about that very fact. I don't know, maybe you, you've had this experience. Um, many of you, I'm going to guess you can, you can relate to this. Maybe when you were a kid, you were in some kind of sports competition or you, you competed in some way. Or maybe you ran for like an office in school. I remember running like for student council or something like that. And you put yourself out there. You competed. Your name is out there. And then it comes the time when they're going to announce the winners. And they're, they're going through this by, you know, category by category. The race that you ran in or the office that you ran for or the event that you competed in. And they're going through and they're tallying votes or they're counting up the score. And they're reading it and they're going down the list. And they get to your category. They get to your place. And they're saying, you know, the winner of whatever. You fill in the blank. And in your mind you can hear your name. Chad Gilligan, Chad Gilligan, Chad Gilligan, Chad Gilligan. You're like, you're ready for it, right? And then they say somebody else's name. And I'm sure it was a mistake. And yet what happens Man, your heart goes, blah, 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 right? There's just that sinking feeling of, I thought I was going to win. And somebody else did. And you learn the very valuable lesson. Life's not all about you, is it? The whole world doesn't revolve around you. You're, you're not as important as maybe sometimes you think you are. Here's a truth some of us need to grasp. And maybe if you're like me, you've got to wrestle with it. More than one day a week. Life is not about me. Life is it's not about me. And all the parents with teenagers said. And all the teenagers want to remind their parents. Life's not about you either, right? Here's the deal. It's, it's a valuable thing for us to learn and remember. In a world that is so self-focused, we need to be reminded Life's not about me. Psalm 115.1 is a great reminder. Not to us, Lord. Not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. It's not about me. I just simply get to be the catalyst. I get to be the one that God chooses to use. If he's going to do more, and and watch this, if God's going to do more in our lives, will we be blessed? Yeah, absolutely we will. Because think about this. If God's going to do more through you, that that, then that may mean he's going to entrust you with more. More resources, more strength, more opportunity, more blessing. It may also come with some more hardships. We saw that in the scripture we looked at last week. But understand this. If he's doing more, then that means if you're in line with that, that you're going to be more fulfilled. You're going to feel more effective. You're going to feel more in relationship with him than you did if he wasn't doing more. So if you are allowing God to do more in your life, you will be blessed you will have more but understand this catch this more is not about the content of the blessing but the purpose of the blesser it's not about what you get it's about who's given that to you it's about the fact that he's entrusted that to you if god's going to do more in your life recognize it's not about the content of the blessing although that's wonderful and will be blessed but at the end of the day it's about the purpose of the blesser the one who blessed you with that in the first place which then causes us to ask the question then if more's not about me then who's it about <laughs> Why, why is God doing more? What is it that he wants to work out in my life if it's not about me? Well, this verse 21 of Ephesians 3 gives us two ideas that are important for us to look at. Look, look at that passage again. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21. Who's it about? He says, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Who is more about? The first thing he says is that more is about the church. 
More is about the church. Now, when we talk about the church, we're not just talking about Calvary Church on Conant Street and Mommy. And we're not just talking about the Assemblies of God, which is the fellowship of churches that Calvary's a part of. We're not, we're not just talking about all the churches in Toledo. We're not even just talking about you know, the, the church universal. We're talking about the body of Christ. We're talking about you and I who are followers of Jesus, that it's through us that God wants to be glorified. The, the, the work that he does, the more that he does, is about the church and what God wants to do in you and through you and in me and through me. The truth is this. The church exists to accomplish God's plan for the world the church exists to accomplish god's plan for the world and i I challenge you i think sometimes we think too lightly about the church see see the church and i don't mean just going to church on a sunday i mean who we are as followers of christ there's a church on every corner We, we see the church all the time we live in a world that even though the church's influence is diminishing in our nation it has still played an incredible role in who we are what we believe as people and we We sometimes take the church for granted, but God makes a big deal out of the church. The fact that the church is even considered in this verse helps us to remember how important the church is. Listen to what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. He says, and I tell you that you are Peter. Peter just made this confession that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God. And he says, I tell you that you're Peter. And on this rock of your confession, I will build my church And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Is the church a powerful force? Is the church a powerful force? Absolutely, it should be. In fact, look at what Paul says to Timothy. Paul's writing to Timothy, who's who's this young pastor, and he says this. 1 Timothy 3, verse 14. Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. That description's a mouthful, isn't it? What is, the, what is the truth built on? The truth is built on the church, that the people of God live it out. What gives support to society and culture if it's going to be healthy? It's the pillar of truth that the church is to be. We are to have influence. We have a purpose. As God's people, we are to be crazy in, in, involved in seeing the world changed and lives be moved and transformation happening. In a couple of weeks, we'll, we'll begin to talk about our serve week. This is the second year that we've done this. The, the third week, I believe, of July. Last year, we had what, Pastor Bill? 700 people who went out and did service projects in our community, made a huge difference, impacted people and communities and lives for Jesus Christ. Why? Because the church is to have influence in the world. It's to make a difference as we do it corporately, as we live our lives individually. The church is not a club for religious people. It is the hope of the world. Would you agree? And so if that's the case... We need to realize that when God does more in our lives, when he works more in our lives, when his more comes through us, it's not about us. It's about what he wants to do in and through us so that he, as a result, can impact the world and can make a difference in the lives of other people. But it doesn't stop there. Because we can recognize that God has a purpose that he wants to fulfill. But why does he do more? He does it for his glory, right? It's not about me. It is about the church. But here's the second thing I want you to see. That more is about Jesus. More is not just about the church. But more is also about Jesus. What did he say? To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. That through us... That through what we do, through how we live, God's more will allow us to accomplish God's purposes of the church so that Jesus will be lifted up, so that he's the focus, so that he's the point. Not you and me, 
but him. Here's what John the Baptist said. John chapter 3, verse 30. He must become greater. I must become less. Boy, there's a good rule of thumb. Jesus, you be more in my life. And let me become less. That's how Paul said it. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. Not that we're competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. If God's entrusted something to you, and, and here's the deal. For some of you, when, when I talk about this, there's already things that come to your mind. God has put you in a place of influence. You may lead people. You may think about your family. You may think about your workplace. You may think about your school. There's somewhere, there's something that you're considering that you're thinking about, and you realize that you are in a place of influence. For some of you, you go, I don't have any influence. I'm just living a boring life. And I don't believe that to be true at all. For all of us, there is something, there's some place where God has given you this opportunity. He's given you a platform. He's given you a voice. He's given you relationships. So here's the question. What has God entrusted to you that he can bless in order to accomplish his purpose and receive more glory? Some of you, there's things that are coming to your mind right now as you consider this. What has God entrusted to you that he can bless in order to accomplish his purpose and receive more glory. Because if we fail to consider that what God is doing or working out in our lives is not so we can have more, it's not so that it can be about us, but if we'll recognize that the reason God has given us that resource, the reason God has allowed us that opportunity, the reason that God has opened that door, he's blessed us, whatever it might be, the reason he does that is so that he will be glorified as his purpose is accomplished in our lives and Jesus is lifted up. But if we miss that, if we get sidetracked from that, we can end up wasting an awful lot of time and energy just chasing after things aren't, that aren't really what we were designed to do in the first place. I read this story. It was, it was written um, by, a, by a lady who was training. To, she was a nurse, and she was going back and talking about when she was in nursing school. Here's what she wrote. Hospital regulations require a wheelchair for patients being discharged. However, while a student nurse, I found an elderly gentleman already dressed and sitting on the bed with a suitcase at his feet who insisted that he didn't need my help to leave the hospital. After discussion about rules being followed, he reluctantly let me wheel him into the elevator. On the way down, I asked him if his wife was meeting him at the door with his car. I don't know, the old man said with a smile on his face. She's still upstairs in the bathroom changing out of her hospital gown. That's, that's one of those, some of you, you won't get that to your halfway home. He'll be like, oh, she was, she was the patient. Okay, I get it. Some of you are so focused just rolling through life, pushing around whatever you're pushing around, that you haven't taken time to realize, am I really doing the thing that I was supposed to be doing in the first place? Am I, am I actively, am I engaged in, is the more in my life in a place that I can accomplish God's purpose and then bring Him glory? Or am I just pushing things around that really aren't what I'm called to do? We will miss God's more for our lives if we do not surrender to God's will for our lives. We will miss God's more for our lives if we do not surrender to God's will for our lives. So name your more and realize that if you want to see that more in your life, you may have to wrestle to the ground 
am I doing God's will? Because God's more and God's will go hand in hand, don't they? Okay, three misconceptions. Number one, that more is for more. Number two, that more is for me. Last one, let me give you just the third one, then we'll wrap things up. Misconception number three is that more is for now. That more is for right now. Sometimes we believe that, God, if, if you're going to give me more and I've prayed, then I should have it. Some of you have kind of been, you know, uh, we've been going through this series. You've been praying for more and you're not seeing that in your life. Maybe you're a little frustrated because you're in kind of a, 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 a place where you're just not sure, God, are you active? God, are you doing this? And you, you pray and you say, God, I prayed and asked you for more and it's past noon and you haven't done anything. Where are you? Because, God, I thought, I thought you'd do it. I thought you'd do it right now. But look at what Paul says, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21. He says, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And he puts it in perspective. He says, the more that God does isn't just for in your life right now. It has ramifications. It has influence that goes far beyond right now and today. He talks about two things here. One, what he says is that God's more influences generations. God's more, when it's at work in our lives, has the potential, it has the power to influence generations, to touch people's lives beyond our own, to make a difference for years to come. And we could spend a lot of time kind of unpacking this and talking about this, but, but understand this, that the way you live your life today has the ability, as God's more plays out in your life, even if you don't see it right now, it has the ability to influence those in generations to come. Several years ago, I think, it was, I think it was back when we were still in our, our former location on Glendale, I remember preaching a sermon that just really impacted me about how God's favor could be seen poured out in, in the nation of Israel because of David for generations after David. It says that God blessed David. He's, he says, I blessed him for the, for the sake of my servant David. And then you read about God's relationship with David's son and his grandsons. And it repeats there and it says that God brought blessing because of his servant David. And you go hundreds of years past the time that David was dead and in the ground. He's gone. He's not living anymore to King Hezekiah. And King Hezekiah is facing this great enemy. And listen to what God says to Hezekiah in 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 34. He says, I will defend this city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. Hundreds of years after David is gone, God is still saying, I'm going to give you favor because of who David was in my relationship with him. Isn't that interesting? Look, here's what I know. I can tangibly tell you that I experienced blessing in my life because of the prayers and actions of people who prayed for me and did things on my behalf whose funerals I've been to. Because their influence in my life, their prayers for me, I stand on their shoulders because what they did has influenced generations to come because they allowed God to trust them with more. Sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll get the impression from some people who are new to Calvary that they think that Calvary is a church that just kind of popped up about two and a half years ago when some people bought a movie theater, right? The truth is, if you don't know, Calvary's a church 63 years old. And everything that God does is built on a foundation that stands on the shoulders of saints who, who have gone before us and said, we believe that God can do something. We believe that God can use a group of five families who started in a small place in December of 1951 and somehow use that group to impact generations. It's a powerful truth and important for us to recognize that your relationship with God today has the potential of blessing generations to come. So if you don't see more in the now, realize that that doesn't mean that God's not doing it, that he's not working it. 
Because some of you are like, look, we've been through, uh, we've been through four weeks of this. And this is the last week. And God, I haven't, I haven't seen all that yet. In fact, next week, does anybody know what next week is? Anybody know what next week is? What would you say, Jack? What is it? Father's Day. I wish my kids were in here right now to hear you say that. What's next week? Father's Day. Don't you forget. If my kids are watching online, don't you forget it, okay? Here's the deal. Um, next week's Father's Day. You will not want to miss our service next Sunday morning. I'm, I'm, I'm stoked, and I really believe that the message that God has for, for you to hear next week is going to be transformational for many of us. And sometimes when it's Father's Day or Mother's Day, one of those like Hallmark holidays, right, we're, we're quick to go, ah, I'm not a dad, or I'm not a mom, I'm not going to show up for this one. Next week's message is going to have, I, I believe, powerful implications. We're going to do something a little bit different. It's going to have powerful implications in people's lives, whether you're, whether you're a dad or not, whether you're a male or female. Just, I'm just telling you, you're not going to want to miss it. And we talk about these ideas, too, of how we can influence generations. Your relationship with God today could have influence for generations to come. But some of you are going, God, I've asked you for more and I haven't seen it yet and we're done with this series. God, does that mean you're not there? <laughs> or God, does that mean you don't care about me? Or even more, what sometimes people go is maybe God's okay, maybe I'm not. Maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe I'm too far gone. Maybe God's given up on me. Or maybe you've had somebody tell you it's because you don't have enough faith. It's because of you and what you lack that God can't bless you with more. Let me give you one more thought that Paul says here. He says that God will receive glory from, for, for generations to come. And then he says forever and ever. Amen. How does he say that? Throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And when he says that, he says it with emphasis. Because when he says throughout all generations, what's he saying? He's saying forever, right? So he says throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. It's like when as a parent you say to your children, you get in here immediately right now. Right? Because immediately mean gets in here. Right now means get in here. But when you say immediately right now, it means you better be moving before this sentence is done. Right? It's for emphasis. So Paul's saying here, it's forever and ever throughout all generations. Do you see who God is? He's bigger than this. And his more in your life, God's more impacts eternity. It changes things. It makes a difference. And God will receive glory. He will do his work. And even if you don't see his more right now, even if you have questions about this right now, recognize that God's more will impact eternity. And don't get discouraged if you feel like you're not getting the more that you think you should right now. Or if you don't see the answer to your questions. Or if you're not receiving the blessing that you hoped for. Or you don't know where this is going to play out. Because God will be glorified. And he will work this out. And it will impact eternity. But wrestle this thought to the ground. God will be glorified with me or without me, after me, and in spite of me. Look, God will be glorified with you. He wants that. That's his hope is that you'll partner with him and that he'll be glorified through your life. That his purpose will be accomplished. That Jesus will be lifted up. But understand this. If you don't want to play that game, that's fine. He'll be glorified with you or without you, right? Because he's God. And for some of us, we, we kind of live our lives like, God, when I'm dead, I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know who you're going to work with then. But God will be glorified after you. And I've found out that on a daily basis, he can be glorified in spite of me. If we would just recognize who he is and his glory and what he wants to do. And for some of us, that can be kind of discouraging 
maybe even frustrating because we look at where we're at right now and we say, God, but I need, I need more. I want more. I'm asking for this. But you're in a situation where you're just not so sure how this is going to play out. You know, when you're, when you're doing something like writing a sermon, you, you, put, you put words on paper. And sometimes I'll, I'll look at words that are on paper and it's like the Holy Spirit just kind of speaks them in a different way. And when these words showed up in my notes, I just immediately had this thought in my gut, that's for somebody. I don't know what that means. I don't know if you're sitting here in this room. I don't know if you're watching a screen somewhere. Here's, here's what I know. Think about this thought. We must not allow the circumstances of today to determine our hope for tomorrow. And if you haven't received your more yet, then hang on to that for a minute. Grasp that. Because I know in my spirit this is for somebody. We must not allow the circumstances of today to determine our hope for tomorrow because we believe in a God who can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us. Why? So that to him there will be glory, that he'll be glorified in the church. That means his purpose is accomplished through us and that Jesus Christ will be lifted up. And if it doesn't happen right now, know that he's at work doing that for generations to come and throughout eternity so that he will be glorified. One, one last quick story, and then we'll, we'll just kind of wrap things up. Um, did you know that today's Flag Day? Did you know that? The other thing I was reminded of, and I didn't, I didn't know this. Somebody stopped me after first service. Today is the, the birthday of the U.S. Army. Did you know that? Same day, June 14th. But it's Flag Day. And um, there's an interesting kind of flag story. So back in the late 50s, if, if you're familiar with U.S. history, we only had 48 states, and then Alaska and Hawaii became a state. So when all this was happening back in the late 50s, people looked at the flag and said, look, our flag only has 48 stars, but we're going to have 50 states. We need to change something. So people began to, to spontaneously just send designs for flags to President Eisenhower. In fact, in this season of time when Alaska and Hawaii were being considered for statehood, more than 1,500 designs for new flags were sent to President Eisenhower, including one from a 17-year-old boy who lived in Lancaster, Ohio. His name was Robert G. Heft. Here's just kind of an interesting side note. Mr. Heft went on to be the mayor of Napoleon, Ohio. Have you ever heard of Napoleon? Just down the street? Um, So here's Mr. Heft's story. He designed a 50-star American flag in 1958 while living with his grandparents. He was 17 years old at the time, and he had to do this flag design as a part of a high school class project. So here's what he did. He took a flag that his grandparents had at home, and he unstitched the the blue square portion of it that had the 48 stars on it. He took that off the flag, and then he took a new piece of blue cloth, and he stitched that on there. And then he cut out of white iron-on material. He cut out 100 stars, and he placed 50 on one side, 50 on the other and he ironed them on and he turned them into his teacher as a part of this project for a new flag design and the teacher I guess kind of submitted those as, as alternatives as options you know to the to the government to consider do you know what grade he got on his flag he got a B minus Heft got a B minus on his flag and he went back to the teacher and he I said hey you gave me a B minus he said yeah he said well how about this how about if my flag happens to get chosen by the United States to be the new flag? Would you reconsider my grade? And the teacher's like, sure, whatever, that's fine. Didn't take long for Robert G. Heff to get a letter from President Eisenhower's administration. It said, congratulations, your flag has been chosen as the new flag of the United States of America. Guess what that teacher had to do? <laughs> if you go to the grade book, you'll see a smudge mark where he erased the B minus 
and put in a big A+. Plus because Heft was willing to take his B-minus work and put it in the hands of the right person and see how much more could be done with it. I love that story for a couple of reasons. One is this. It's because many of us feel like that on our best days, we're a B-minus. In fact, most days I feel more like an F-plus. How about you? (laughs) And it reminds us that God can take even B-minus work And he can do something amazing with it. That when you entrust it to him, he can change the grade. And what I love even more is that when we think about this story up until I read it, and probably the same for you, I didn't know who Robert Heft was. I'd never heard his name before. I didn't know this part of the story, but I did know his flag. I did know Old Glory. And I knew this, that every time I saw it, it makes me think of something. When I see the flag, I think of who I am as an American. I think of our history. I think of our freedom. I think of what it stands for. It's this incredible symbol to me of something. And it's not about this guy's story, but it's about what it stands for. And recognize this, that when you live your life, it's not about you, but it's the God who entrusted you with more. So if you'll take your B-minus effort and entrust it to him, he can change the grade and make something incredible out of it so that he accomplishes his purpose and receives the glory. And that's good news, isn't it? So would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a moment? And before we go, I've, I've just got a quick question before a quick prayer. And, and this is it for, for some of you. We've walked through this series and you're sitting there today and God's spirit is speaking to your heart and it just comes down to this, that you say, God, I'll give you my little And with it, I'm asking you to do more. Here's what I have. God, would you be glorified? Would you accomplish your purposes? God, would you work out your plan? Jesus, would you be glorified? And even if I can't see it now, I trust you to do it. If you just just say, God, here's, here's my little, will you take it and make it more? Would you just raise your hand? I want to pray with you today. God's just speaking to your heart. Yeah, thanks. Hands all over. God, here's my little. Will you do something more? Heavenly Father, we thank you. Well, thanks for your word that speaks to our hearts. That reminds us that you are the one who can do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. And it's through your power at work in us. So Lord, help us not to miss what only you can do. God, may you be glorified in our lives. And that as we remember that this more is not about us, but it's so that your purposes can be accomplished through your church, that Jesus could be lifted up. Would you do more in us and through us? And Lord, even if we don't see it for generations to come, even if it's something that will impact eternity, help us to trust you. Lord, we give you our little and we ask you to change the grade that you would do something more with it. And so now, Lord, as we go from here, would you go with us? Send us out with your special favor and your wonderful peace. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.